to reach this life without lack attitude. You have to understand how powerful he is, how much he loves you, how much he wants the best for you, and that he is capable of taking care of everything you need and that he wants to take care of everything you need. In each decade, there may just be a book or two that will one day be considered a classic. You know, a text that stands the test of time, marching through history, known as a reliable help in the formation of our souls. Last year, I think one of those rare books was published. Many of you already know it, Dallas Willard's Life Without Lack. Picture with me, Dallas teaching to a small group of folks he attended church with. These were people he knew and cared about. And what was recorded in an intimate pastoral tone was a series of talks from one of his favorite passages, the 23rd Psalm. Back in an August 2018 episode, I had a special conversation with Becky Heatley Willard about how her and pastor of Dallas and Jane's church, Larry Burtoff, birthed a book from those special talks. This month at the Renovari Book Club, we're beginning to turn our attention to working with this text, and I couldn't pass up the opportunity to take the conversation a little further, this time with Becky and Larry. And they brought with them a short audio clip, an unreleased recording from those lectures. So the content didn't make it into the book, but it's touching and delightful to hear the excitement in Dallas's voice as he marvels at creation. My name is Nathan Foster, and welcome to the Renovare Podcast. Becky, Larry, I am delighted. Well, thank you. It's good to get to talk with you, too. Good to be here with you, Nate. So today we get to talk about uh, this book that you two work together, Dallas book, Life Without Lack. But before we do, I do have to just ask, Larry, you were Dallas and Jane's pastor. What was that like? Well, I had to do a lot of marital counseling with them. No, I'm just <laughs> just kidding. Um, uh, what it was like was, okay, sure. Dallas and Jane, you're sitting out there and I'm preaching, but um, actually I'm just, um, for the most part, trying to, uh, I guess, because I had come, um, I don't know if that's the right way to describe it or not, I'd come strongly under his sway, which is hopefully the same thing as the spirit's sway. So much <laughs> of what I was saying, he's probably said, saying to himself, yeah, I've heard that before. I've said that before. Um, but it was a real privilege. It really was. He was, they were both extremely encouraging. And uh, as anyone who knows, uh, knows them, knows Dallas, uh, the humility, he never thought, you know, I don't remember him ever. And I'm sure there were many times when he could have and should have maybe corrected something that maybe I said in a sermon. I, never. I don't remember anything. He never said, you know, didn't I tell you this? And didn't I point out, haven't you been listening? Don't you have ears to hear? Or, you know, but... Uh, <laughs> Um, no, it was, as I say, a great privilege and uh, very thankful for those those years. 
Were you able to be at ease? I mean, I I imagine for some people it would be nerve wracking to be. Was it comfortable for you? Well, it's, you know, I'm at the ripe old age now of 71, and that was a few years ago. So I don't, but I don't recall really being nervous because of him. Like, oh, Dallas is going to be sitting there listening. Um, uh, I had... I had first gotten to know Dallas in 1976. He came and spoke to a church I was a college director at. And that's when I first met him and heard him and realized I was hearing something quite different um, than I, you know, he did a thing on the Sermon on the Mount, a series on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, so by the time I was pastoring, I had known him five years and had started going to USC myself, not to study under Dallas. I was in a different program, but um, I was real comfortable with him and he's easy to be comfortable with. Right. So I, no, I, I didn't feel that I needed to perform or get it right. Or yeah, it was just a, again, a pleasure actually. Yeah, good. Larry, tell us about the context for the Sunday evenings where Dallas was teaching this material that ended up becoming the book. Well, physically, uh, we met in a we met in a little school, a little private school, and this was upstairs in a little room that held probably you know it could have held thirty, forty, fifty people, and there was about thirty of us or so, I guess, that would gather together. And he just was going to do this eight week series on the twenty uh, third Psalm, and he knew most of us. He could look at a person and give their name. In other words, there was a very family feel as to use uh, Becky's uh, um, description there about that little gathering. I think I say this in the preface, but it was an intimate affair, very much so. He would lecture. He would do his kind of formal teaching for about 45 minutes to an hour, and then we'd have Q&A, and it was just a back and forth, and it was it was glorious. It was just... Uh, it was wasn't just teaching. It was really fellowshipping around the teaching and around you know the bread he was breaking for us. I don't I don't know if it's if this is just kind of my imagination, but it does feel uh, in the book there's a certain kind of care, a, a sort of pastoral care in his voice. Is is that an accurate description of what it was like in the room? Well, he was clearly concerned that this wasn't uh, just uh, head stuff, that this was this life without lack was a reality, a real experience that could be entered into by anyone. Uh, he knew the, the, the personal stories of many of the people in there, their struggles, their doubts, their fears. Um, and um, that doesn't always come through in the book in terms of content, because he'd make some comments that that were you knew he was speaking to someone there. And I, I think some of those may have dropped out, but, but not the general, he really was preaching to where people live. Um, so there was a pa- clear pastoral um, emphasis and um, in touch, I guess I'd say to his mm-hmm. words. Yeah. I have felt that with um, uh, so many of the audio series that we have listened to, and um, the same with Allure of Gentleness that we made mm. into a book out of talks. And, and um, just it, you know, it gave me the idea of maybe these, the whatever series of books we might do from his talks felt like a pastoral series, you know, because he, 
his pastor's heart is so evident when he is in a room with these people um, and just wanting to share the goodness of the life of Christ with them. That pastoral feel is is so commonly evident there. It's really sweet. Now, I'd imagine it's it's quite a task to take audio recordings and put them into a book. What was that process like for you too? Well, you go first. But it started with Larry mostly um, uh, getting a, a straight transcript of the talks and then editing from that. Uh, but then we started to pull in additional material. If he said, I wish I had more time to talk about this, then we would look up where he did talk about that and pull that information in. We pulled in other of his writings, certainly, or, or yeah, if we had transcription of something that hadn't been published or something, we would bring okay. that in to fill it out because he would often, as Dallas would do in many contexts, I call them his theological riffs, where he would just <laughs> he would go off. Um, something would trigger, and and maybe it would be something that he knows someone specifically in the group was wrestling with or struggling with, or he'd had a conversation with about, and he'd go off on that. But it didn't quite fit. So some of those we actually had to say, okay, this would this is a great thing, but it doesn't really. It, it's not in the flow of this right here, mm -hmm. right now, of what he was really at. So there's things we had to bring out, I mean, bring in, and there's a few things, not a whole lot, um, that we actually said, well, we'll need to save this for later, maybe. Um, we also brought in, I think, um, we brought in a lot of the epigram material, the stuff that's at the beginning of each chapter. We brought that in, yeah. and he didn't do the section you know, the, there's sections of each chapter and they have little headings and so forth. That's, we, we worked on those. And the other place where we would bring in different material is where he had developed his thoughts further in his later teachings. And so we would update that. So even though you're hearing, basically you're hearing something from, you know, 30 years ago, um, you might be getting the version from 10 years ago if he had updated his thought on that. And, you know, and there's the conversation about, well, do people really want to track his thought process on this and see what he thought about it 10 years ago or, you know, 30 years ago and that kind of thing. But I think the key is to get out the best of his teaching on that topic. And so we, you know, we looked through everything that had anything to do with 23rd Psalm to see if there was other material that we should pull in and add to it. Um, I hope we put it together well, and, and it seems like it's being well-received. People are finding goodness in it. Uh, lots of times I go out where I'm in a group of people or I'm at a conference or something, and one or two people will tell me they're using this in their small groups. And it seems like a really special teaching. It's nice to see how well-received it is. <laughs> That's been my experience with talking to people, too. I almost think of it as if somebody's wanting to kind of, you know, begin reading Dallas. This is just a wonderful entry point book because it's um, accessible. Yeah, and that pastoral tone. Kind of as a side question, I, I know the kind of library of of Dallas's writing and and speaking is massive. Becky, have have you listened and read everything that's out there? <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, I suspect no, no, there's so much, you know, more you've listened to and read probably more than anyone, I would assume. 
Yeah, I don't know. There, there are people out there, um, you know, that, that have ministered side by side with my dad for decades and, you know, really know his material. And um, a few months ago uh, at Westmont, where they have the Dallas Willard Center, they debuted their new uh, Conversatio Divina webpage at conversatio.org. So it's like conversation, but without the N, dot org. And they have taken um, all the audio and video recordings that we could find of my dad. And they have um, put them there for people to listen to. And there's a huge amount of material. And they found stuff that, you know, I had never heard of. But, you know, he, he's been talking for a really long time. And, <laughs> Um, so there's a lot out there and, you know, someday I hope the answer to that question will be yes, but, uh, it's not yet. (laughs) (laughs) Becky, you know what you're supposed to say? I learned this when people would come in, uh, to my study or something and they'd see my library of books and they, you know, wow. (laughs) Have you read all of these? (laughs) Have you read all these books? And the response you're supposed to give is I've read some of them twice. Uh, but all the titles i've read all the titles and they assume well if you've read uh, some of them twice surely you've read them all yes well there you go you know my dad used to call the divine conspiracy his most widely unread book (laughs) okay so many people bought it but then found it difficult and didn't finish it yeah no that that's that's right well, I, I catch this just in the in the kind of corners of some of your statements, Becky, your wealth of knowledge. I mean, you working with with your dad for all these years. I mean, if I have a question, you're my go to. So, you know, one of the things Larry mentioned about um, my dad going off on the, the jazz riff um, with his stuff uh, there, there are times when he just um, he's just having so much fun. And he does just sort of start to rattle things off. And there was a um, there was a section where he was talking about creation. And I think it was the third session. You know, he loves he grew up on a farm. He loves animals. He, in his first trip to South Africa, he fell in love with elephants or it could have been before that. But that's where I started really hearing about them. And um, just the the majesty of God portrayed in creation and there's a really, um, uh, there was a, a very long kind of, how about light? Do you think light is wonderful? And, and, you know, just going through the different days of creation and he went on and on and we had to, we had to just say, well, I don't think we can put all that in the book. <laughs> <laughs> what well, is, is, yeah, is this the piece I, I have on, yeah. an audio clip on? Yeah. Yes, yeah. it is. And he goes on and on about creation and how wonderful it is. And then he says, well, you know, and I could go on, I could go on, but I'm not going to do that. And three seconds later, he's going on again. (laughs) Couldn't help himself. (laughs) Could we play this clip for folks and then talk about it? Yeah. So what we're listening to then is a section of audio from the actual time that Dallas was teaching this? Yeah, this was in the third session. If you go back to the creation story you will see sequences of goods. And I want you to just reflect without us working all the way through on how often that word occurs in the um, scriptures here in the first and second chapters of Genesis. What is the first thing that is called good in this 
story. Light. Would you agree that light is good? Does everyone agree that light is good? Isn't that interesting that we can all agree on that? Actually, I think light is wonderful. <laughs> I think it's just wonderful. I think God did so well when he created light, don't you? <laughs> I think it's one of his better inventions, actually, though the others are very good. But light is just so good. You know, you can almost drink it in with your eyes, can't you? And, and light isn't something simple. Light is a very complex thing. There are so many kinds of light. And then, of course, in light comes color, doesn't it? And um, so that's pretty good. Light's good. Right? And then we have a firmament, uh, which divides the uh, waters, which are above the firmament, from those that are beneath it. And the firmament uh, is simply whatever holds the water that's above you up. Now, you will recognize that there is water up there. And sometimes it falls, right? But whatever it is that holds it up there is a firmament. And God divided the waters. And you know, if it wasn't divided, we'd have a hard time, wouldn't we? Rain is good, isn't it? Isn't water good, by the way? You think so? Water's real good, too. Um, and God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together. And it was so... Then there's dry land. You like dry land? Does everyone like dry land? I like dry land. Dry land is good too. Land is good. Water's good. Life's good. We're doing okay, aren't we? Right? Shall we say so far so good? And then what do we have? Well, we have herbs, grass, fruit trees. And guess what? Verse 12. Does anyone here like uh, grass? Uh, fruit trees? They good? They good, aren't they? Well, I'm not going to carry on in that vein because I hope I've made the point. And now then we go on from uh, vegetables and things of that sort uh, to the sun and the moon. And those are really quite wonderful devices, you know, uh, when you stop to think about them. Does anyone here like the sun? Do you think sun is good? Sun's good. The moon's good too. I like both of them. Yes. I find myself just agreeing all along here with this. And then, uh, then we have the uh, living things in verse twenty and following. I like moving creatures. I think other people do. I suspect that's why they have zoos. They have zoos. What do you do? You go and you look at the moving creatures, don't you? And whales are in here. Those are among my favorites. The only thing I think I could actually improve on here is if it just mentioned elephants. I'm very fond of elephants. I like elephants a lot. I think they are among the really good ones. I love elephants. And verse 25 says, And God saw that it was good. <laughs> that is good to hear. <laughs> it's good. Yeah. That's a good example of when you're when you're transcribing something into a book, you, you can't put all that. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> Becky, what what is it like for you to hear your dad talk? Oh, it's it's great. You know, there's um 
I think there's part of me that that will always be in denial that he's gone. <laughs> and so this, you know, just keeps him alive. And, um, and as we try to continue um, sharing what he taught, you know, and trying to get it out there to more people and especially, you know, finding ways um, for younger readers to encounter him and, and, you know, just trying to share what we've learned from him. Um, it's really encouraging, I, I think, for, for me and our family and, and the various teams that we're working with, you know, to be able to hear his voice and remember that, what we just heard, that joy and that excitement about life in the kingdom and the goodness of God. And so that's a really sweet treasure to, to be able to have so much of that. I love the the other simplicity in that of, do you like light? Do you like water? Um, Do you like dry land? (laughs) Yeah, these most basic things that a lot of the time we just are oblivious to, right? Light and earth and water. We take Mm -hmm. it all for granted. And uh, there he is just delighting in it. in, in its goodness, it's a it's a it's a wonderful reminder of the, our need for well, what do they call it now? Mindfulness of all the goodness of creation. So, mm-hmm. well, I'm a fan of elephants too. They're <laughs> yeah, amazing creatures. <laughs> yeah. In terms of the book, is there a, a, a section, a thought, an idea that, that's each of your favorite parts in the book? I don't know if my favorite part of the book is the way to describe it, but I, I, I'm always caught and kind of my breath is caught when he says in a, in a couple of places here, and he also says this in a couple of places in The Divine Conspiracy, that and this is because of the nature of the Lord and His goodness and His greatness. He says this, but he does say this. Auda- he makes this audacious claim that the world is a perfectly good and safe place to mm-hmm. be. To me, it's just like, well, I'm left speechless most of the time when I think about it. When I think about the world we live in, right? And so. Um, uh, of course, he, as I said, he makes that conditioned upon our living within uh, the context of God's kingdom, this God, this shepherd who will take care of us. But my goodness, to uh, to to be able to say that uh, not only with a straight face, but with a smile, as he probably did. Uh, yeah, this world is a perfectly safe place to be. Nothing to fear. No lack. I've been working with that idea for years. It, yep. It, it, it's tough. Becky, how about you? Well, I guess the real um, the real blessing in the book for me was the first couple of chapters um, where he spends so much time talking about the magnificence of God. Hmm. And the point of that being that you have to understand who God is to reach this life without lack attitude. You have to understand um, how, how powerful he is, how much he loves you, how much he wants the best for you, and that he is capable of taking care of everything you need and that he wants to take care of everything you need uh, before you can you know, rest in that. 
And um, so that, uh, that for me has just been, it was just working on those chapters even was like meditating on those ideas and on the scripture, you know, he, he pulls so heavily, so many scriptures in. And um, so that for me was what I think I enjoyed the most. It's just full of jewels all the way through, but that was good for me to have that time to just kind of soak in that, the reality of who God is. This idea of the universe being a safe place of living a life without lack. Did you see that embodied in Dallas? Yeah. Yeah. He was, you know, um, he was very at ease. He was, uh, he just approached life in a very calm manner. And, um, you know, people, there are things where other people would get stressed out or raise their voice or working frantically on, and I just didn't see him doing that. And, you know, he, he's got that phrase, ruthlessly eliminate hurry. And he had learned a better way to go through life, that term relaxing in the kingdom. It's all going to be okay. So he, he was able to live in that kind of ease with things. And it certainly wasn't because he didn't experience life with all of its ups and downs and challenges and, and disappointments and uh, um, recognition of his own mistakes here and there. And right. I mean, he lived in the real world, this real world that he claims is a perfectly safe place to be in. I don't remember. I mean, I obviously Becky grew up with him and in the house and so forth and so on. But I mean, I never saw him perturbed or irritated. Um, and to what degree that was his personality and to what degree that was his redeemed personality and uh, where Christ had been formed in him. And I, I don't think we can necessarily draw a clear line, but certainly he, he, yeah, I just think this is the man who was at peace uh, and brought that peace to others. Mm-hmm. Jan Johnson told me a story about Dallas, and I'm curious if if either of you've heard this and if it's true, and if I should even put this in the podcast. <laughs> Uh-oh. It, it's Uh-oh. personal because I'm very envious, and, and I just I'm so uh, longing for life of you know of ease in a responsible, good way. <laughs> <laughs> what I heard was that at one point he raced all of his emails. Have you heard this? Mm-mm, I haven't, but Becky? he would occasionally. Um, yeah, he would occasionally have me go in and take out everything from before whatever date. Like if it was towards the end of the year, he might say, "Delete all, delete everything in my inbox from before this year." So that's what happened to my emails. (laughs) (laughs) But his attitude was like, if I haven't dealt with it by now, it's not going to happen. And so let's just get rid of that. So I do know that. I mean, Jan may know of a time when he just got rid of it all. I don't know. But, But one thing I was not able to do was to delete his sent messages because he would give people answers to questions about something he had said or advice or whatever. And I was like, Oh, I just, I can't let that go. So, 
So we kept that. Good. Hey, yeah. that would be quite the book, wouldn't it? Yeah. That was his answers. <laughs> Sent emails. Email. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder if we could do, do a little exercise. Uh, this idea of uh, spending a, a normal day with Jesus, what does that look like? Yeah, the trick on that is is the word normal there, you know, that it's not I'm going to set up a day to go to the monastery and be quiet, but it is my regular day inviting Jesus in, um, you know, to everything, to have breakfast with Jesus and have him with me on my commute. And what are you doing on your lunch break? And how are you interacting with everyone around you? And every project at work and with your kids. And so, and, and he talks also about preparing for this the night before. And he was a big believer in the, you know, the way the Sabbath is set up to begin the night before that that's when your day really starts is with that time of preparation and then with rest. But you see where the, the preparation the night before is helpful is Mm -hmm. like a date, right? Spend the day together. It is like a date. Yeah. yeah. So you're taking Jesus with you on this day. And how can you allow a little extra time for communicating with him between <laughs> projects and maybe making an extra point to pray for every email before you hit the send button? <laughs> pray for that recipient or, yeah, lots yeah. of ideas, I suppose. You know, Dallas certainly, I mean, he's the same, was the same way with the whether he's talking about the spiritual disciplines or a day with Jesus is he never wants to turn this into some sort of legalistic. Here's how you must do it. Mm-hmm. Here's the pattern you must, you know, kind of lockstep uh, behind. Um, but, but here are options. Here's availabilities. Here's a way of entering into this life. Here's a way of beginning to experience um, <clears throat> less lack, shall we say, than we normally experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and would never, want anyone to feel um, guilty because they didn't do it right. You know, you know George MacDonald, the, the Scottish, he was C.S. Lewis, who C.S. Lewis considered to be his mentor. You know, he's got a book called Diary of an Old Soul, where he has these prayer poems for each day. And one of them starts out, two things at once thou knowest I cannot think. And this is very interesting. He says, when busy with the work thou givest me, I cannot consciously think then of thee. And I thought, now here's some tension. Here's some tension from what Dallas would say. Dallas would say, well, no, actually, you could. You could be working on some, for him, deep philosophical question, and God would be right there in his mind. Uh, He might be carrying on some conversation with God about this deep philosophical question. But, Mm -hmm. but. But many of us also know the experience of, uh, I cannot think of two things <laughs> simultaneously, right? And so uh, Dallas's words are an invitation into, well, maybe, maybe, maybe not. Maybe you can, actually. <laughs> and Thomas Kelly lays that out so nicely, that idea of the two things at once, kind of um, giving, you know, an illustration that's like layers. And so mm. there's there's a layer of communicating with Jesus that goes under the layer of what you're visibly seeing and who you're talking to. That's a really sweet picture. And, it, and it's a great illustration of how we can have God with us as that underlying layer in all that we do. So, but we need to take a day like what dad describes and um, figure out how to do it and practice it 
And yes. maybe once a month you make a real extra effort to do this. As you learn, it, it becomes more natural. And He comes to the end of that chapter and he says, so you come to the end of that first day and then you might think about maybe you want to do it again. <laughs> and, and he doesn't go on to say you might think about maybe you'd want to live your whole life like this. But that's what he's that's the unstated point, right? You could go on and live like this for the rest of your life. There's a, there was a puzzling part in that chapter for me about if you want to do something that you don't think Jesus would like you to do, you could ask him to look the other way. <laughs> and I found myself thinking, would I really ask him to look the other way? And I remember that my daughter, when she was a toddler, she did that with my mother when when she was staying with her sometimes. Uh, yes. she, she'd go, look the other way, Nana, and because she wanted to play in the dirt or something, you know. But I just can't quite picture myself, if I'm realizing it's bad enough that I want Jesus to look the other way, would I really still do it knowing that he's right there and that that extra awareness of God's presence with you during the day. Just wonder how it would change our behaviors if we could be that conscious of him all the time. See, I think he consciously knew that if you say that, if you were to actually try to do that, you would find yourself almost in an impossible situation. Yeah. Right. Thank you. (laughs) Right. Yes. Like, wait a minute. What am I doing here? God, I'm going to go do something I don't want you to look at as if you can't see it anyway. Right. right? I do think, and I I don't know that he says anything like this in the book, but in in other conversations I've had with him, and, and you might know in some other book where he's mentioned it, but if a person who is struggling with, uh, I don't know, some addictive behavior or whatever it might be, um, um, the idea of inviting God into the situation yeah. that you're struggling with was a, a counsel that he would give. God's more than happy to enter into your real life with you in all of its mess. I mean, that's the incarnation. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. The message of the incarnation. So while I think he's kind of uh, uh, tongue in cheek when he says, "Well, ask God to turn his, you know, his face away while you don't do this." Uh, on the other side of that is this: God would be more than willing to come into a situation that you're struggling with to help you move forward. So he would recommend, uh, I don't know, a, an alcoholic who always recommend that you you try to very intentionally bring Jesus with you and. Um, and I can see how that would give you strength to have one less drink than you might otherwise or something. And it spurs on a conversation. Yeah. An honest effort in, in such begins to reveal some of the, the needs being met or the motivations. Mm-hmm. Or, um, that's, uh, that's good. Well, I think as, as we paint this picture of, you know, living an ordinary day with Jesus, it, you, you certainly begin to see how this is a lifetime practice in, 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 in learning these habits. I'm compelled to go and uh, just be in the goodness of light and water and <laughs> maybe go learn about elephants. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I am so thankful that the two of you took the time to do this book. It is just, I, I, I'm just thrilled it's out there. I think it's such a wonderful, wonderful gift. 
Um, are there any any more dusty tapes that uh, <laughs> we might be hearing about? Lots, lots and lots. We're considering, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but I'll Uh-oh. tell our Renovari family. Um, we're, what we're considering for the next book is um, he did a series on parables. Kind of what we look for is stuff that he has not taught anywhere else. That's what we're trying to start with putting out. And this was a one-time thing. And, and he's mentioned parables elsewhere. So we'll do the same thing we did with Psalm 23. But um, that's most likely what we're going to do for the next project. Wonderful. Uh, just quickly before we go, Becky, any any pieces of with the Dallas Willard uh, Ministries that would be helpful for folks to know? Some of the projects we're working on right now um, are kind of fun. We are adjusting our website so that it can become a comprehensive database, I guess you might say, for for the teaching. So mm. um, articles and transcriptions of talks and such that um, you would be able to search there. And wherever he has talked about fasting, that you would be able to come up with all those results. So we're working on that. And Dallas Lord Ministries is considering doing an app with my dad's teaching. And um, so we're that's a pricey endeavor. Um, so we're we're considering that, and what we'd like it to be is something that that addresses all of the aspects of the person, as um, described in Renovation of the Heart. So there would be stuff there for your body and your social interactions, um, along with the usual devotional kinds of things that you might expect. And so um, we're we're discussing how we might go about doing that. And then there's the Moral Knowledge Initiative, which is based on the disappearance of moral knowledge and that publication. And we just had our second symposium on February 3rd and 4th, just a couple weeks ago, and um, trying to help uh, particularly teachers and pastors and parents and such, you know, trying to help people um, understand how morality and the sources of moral knowledge have sort of been slowly being pushed out of our culture and what we can do to help fight against that and to teach our children how to be good and that there actually is a right and a wrong and um, how to pass on a legacy of character to our children. Those are the things I'm most excited about right now that are going on. So thank you for asking. Give folks the website. Um, dwillard.org. Thank you both so much. Yes. Thank you. Well, there you have it. That was just fun. Again, the book is titled Life Without Lack. I believe you can still join us in the book club and receive exclusive podcast and study guides from Becky and Larry. And if you'd like to hear the conversation I had with Becky about the book, it's also about her sharing some special insights about her dad. You can find that in our archives from August of 2018. As always, thanks for listening. Have a great week.